Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. MichaelsFlooringOutlet.com. And welcome back to Overnight America, our number three just getting underway. You can always find the podcast online at KMOX.com or by searching Overnight America there. Joining us now is someone that wants to find common ground, U.S. Director of More in Common, Dan Valone. Thank you so much for coming on to KMOX. Hi, Ryan. Happy to be here. I, I do appreciate the time here today. When I think about common ground, finding things that unite us instead of those things that divide us. I wonder how much of a commitment there actually is, because I feel like most people, if you were to just blindly survey them, oh, would you want to find middle ground? Would you want to find things you have in common? They would all say yes, but then individually, if you were to look at their habits, it's the exact opposite. <laughs> uh, it's, it's definitely true that I think there's a lot of forces that are pulling people apart right now. And we'll see. I think that actually will be really interesting uh, of late. Unity has become a much more uh, salient part of the political conversation. And so I think we'll actually be able to look back and assess the degree to which a desire for greater unity, less conflict was a motivation for folks across the political spectrum as they vote this fall. Uh, but it is it's a tough moment to try and to try and find common ground. Uh, and that's why we've launched this new initiative, Democracy for President. Yeah. Do your friends say you're overly optimistic? <laughs> uh, I, I think of it as pragmatically optimistic. I think okay, that good. there is a, a lot of reasons to be to believe that we can do this while still be very cognizant of the challenge and the magnitude of the challenge. Okay. So more in common is a nonpartisan nonprofit. And what really is your goal here? What are you setting out to do? So we're trying to empower Americans with all of the tools, guidance, and data they need to have difficult conversations. We know it is hard uh, to have a conversation, particularly with somebody who has a different political view. And so we're going to walk you through that process and give you a ton of tools on our website, democracyforpresident.com, to walk you through how you have those conversations on issues such as mail-in voting, 
the safety of the election, the security of the election, the timeline of results, and why our democracy matters, why it actually we have to try and find ways to work together because that's the only way our democracy ultimately works. Okay, so let's, let's kind of go through one of those uh, constructive dialogues because a lot of people do talk about mail-in voting. It's uh, mm-hmm. controversial in some sense because uh, there's the integrity of the election. Some people look at it as an access and it should be available more widely. And then there's all these different views when it comes to it. So if we were to take that one individual topic, how would you look at the approaches to that topic and how would you coach someone to have a conversation civilly on a topic like that? Yeah, absolutely. So the first step we always say is, again, fine, you know, if, let's assume that I believe that mail-in voting is safe, secure, trustworthy. It should be, it should be you know, expanded and used this year because of coronavirus. And if I'm talking to somebody who has questions, concerns, or skepticism about mail-in voting, the first step is assume that the other person hold, holds that belief for reasons that are important to them. Don't dismiss their belief or think that it's just because they don't have the right facts or information. And so acknowledge like this, this year has been challenging. And so it's okay to have questions and concerns about mail-in voting. That's the first step. Mm-hmm. And then the second step would be to actually ask you, so tell me about this. What, what about mail-in voting uh, do you have questions about? What, what makes you concerned about mail-in voting? Mm-hmm. I can answer and, that. Well, I definitely have problems with mail-in voting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it could be a good thing. this could be good. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, I mean, it would be, yeah. be great, Ryan. Okay, do you want to just role-play this, and I can kind of tell you, and we can kind of see where, because I'm, I'm more curious of how you would lead a conversation like this, and I just want to kind of see how you facilitate something like this. So we can role-play, and I can, I can tell you what my uh, objections are, and then I would be curious on how you would react to that. Yeah, sure. I think that, okay. that sounds good. So, Okay, this is interesting because people are watching. It's almost like we're at a seminar and you call someone out of the audience and you say, okay, if we need a volunteer and you bring them up and then you do this and then you look at the crowd and you say, see, he's saying this and this is how you react to this. So this is good. It's like almost uh, the audience here tonight gets to see it firsthand. So when I look at mail-in voting, I look at the infrastructure that we have in place. We have something that has always helped in the past when it comes to absentee ballot, which is something that people are requesting. But to send out unsolicited ballots make it very more it makes it much more difficult to verify those and it also makes it more difficult to make sure it gets to the right people so it's going to take a lot more time to verify the votes that are coming in in a timely fashion we just don't have the infrastructure in place yet to do that it doesn't mean we won't have the infrastructure i just don't think we'll have it in time for this election sure no i appreciate that ryan thank you and so it sounds as though to me what you're talking about is you're concerned that Again, we don't have the infrastructure set up, and so there's a concern about getting things counted, validated, verified in time. So time, timeliness of this is a concern. And then it also seems like there might be some concerns just about this is something new. And so how do we ensure that there is security in place to verify that folks are who they say they are when they submit their ballot? Does that that sound about right? It's a big part of it, yes. Yeah. No, and I, you know, I'll be, I'll be honest, I share, a, a, you know, I care a lot about the election security as well. I started my career in the Army. I voted by mail a lot when I was in the service, and I appreciate the degree to which the military goes to make sure it is a safe and very secure process that you can track and verify along the ways. And so I think it's good. It's a good thing to care about the security of our election, and I think all of us as voters have a responsibility to do our own part, to fill out ballots accurately, to stay informed about what our local election officials are doing, to verify and validate voters. 
and then to follow our ballot. If there's a if there's a way that we can actually watch the ballot come through and walk through the process, that gives us agency to make sure the system is working. Mm-hmm. And then here's what I would say is where you and I probably can find some common ground on this is that it is a new new moment and it's challenging. The folks at the local level, so the folks in St. Louis who are going to manage the election, they're committed to making it work. So we might be divided at the national level, but in St. Louis, the majority of the election workers, the poll workers, the folks who are in charge of actually administrating the system, they care a lot about making this work. And so we got to do our part. And then we also have to have confidence that they're going to deliver a free and fair, safe and secure election. Very good. You sound like a politician. <laughs> a very good one. That's what it sounds like. I don't know. I All don't right. know how to take that. I don't know. I don't know, Ryan. <laughs> you get a little uh, shudder when you hear that. Oh, so oh, so Dan Valone is the U.S. Director of More in Common. That's interesting when you have a conversation and it, it's very disarming. So if you were to take something that someone's coming in hot and heavy, if, if you talk to them and say, oh, yeah, that's an interesting point. Um, we, we can find some common ground in the sense that we want uh, integrity in this election. We want it to be fair. And then you move on and, and you mention that, hey, there's a lot of people dedicated to doing that very same thing. It does. It, it really de-escalates a lot of things. And it, it does make you feel more connected to the person you're talking to. That's kind of that's one of the keys. And then the other key part is don't make the conversation about you being right and the person having to change their mind. Like That's just not going to happen. And so try and find ways to say, look, here's what we both care about. And, you know, acknowledging uncertainty and acknowledging the fact that the person has a valid viewpoint, here's something that we both care about. And here's a reason why we can we can have confidence that the system is going to work this year and that folks are going to do their best job to to deliver an election that we can be proud of when we look back at this moment. That's great. U.S. Director of More in Common, Dan Valone. Do you mind holding on after the break? We can continue talking about this. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Ryan. That'd be great. So check them out online, by the way, Dan. What's a good website for you guys? Sure. It's democracyforpresident.com. Very good. We'll be right back, and we'll continue with Dan Valone on Overnight America KMOX. Listening to KMOX has never been easier. Siri, play KMOX. Dan Valone is the U.S. Director of More in Common. It aims to rebuild trust and civility as we have these political discussions that seem to happen all over the place. Democracy for President, you can find them online. And again, thank you so much, Dan, for joining us tonight on Overnight America. Yeah, no, thank you, Ryan. It's great to be with you. All right, so I I know you're going to hate this question, but you sound very calm. Do you do yoga? Uh, I, I, not as often as I should, but I, I have done it. I'm, I'm a, I'm a believer. Okay. So the, the, the way, the only reason I ask this is because I think some people get into a certain frame of mind and when they think in a certain frame of mind, it helps them approach topics more civil and not everyone gets into that frame of mind. So how much of this is actually just relaxing and not allowing stress to dictate, uh, everything you do online or in person? It's it's a significant part, Ryan. So more in common, we do a lot of public opinion research. That's one of our kind of core areas of of expertise. And what we do is we apply cutting edge research from social psychology to how we understand why people believe what they believe, why they act what they why they act what they act. And one of the biggest kind of features of our research has drawn on Jonathan Haidt's work from Moral Foundations Theory. And one of the one of the findings or one of the kind of statements he has is 
if someone's worldview kind of predisposes them to disagree with you, then when you're talking to them, the question that is running in their mind is, do I have to believe this? Is there any kind of evidence that I can hang my hat on to disagree with you or disprove whatever, whatever it is you're asserting? So the more calm you are when you come into that conversation, the more capable you are going to be of recognizing that. And instead of trying to convince them to persuade them too hard, again, shifting the conversation towards something you have in common and making it a conversation about us instead of you and me or you versus me. Hmm. Yeah, well, it's interesting. Do I have to believe this? It seems a lot of the discussions that we have, at least if we were to uh, if we were to think social media is what the actual town square is anymore, which it's not, but let's just say a lot of the discussions we have with strangers happen on a platform that's public for people to read and you reacting or talking and it, I, I don't know, maybe 20% of the conversation is civil when you're talking to someone else. A lot of it is sometimes that, you know, trying to make it so everyone thinks a certain way or maybe force think as in um, if you don't believe this we're going to publicly shame you or if you do have a different way of looking at this regardless of why you're coming to this opinion if it's against what the majority believes or what it looks like we're just going to gang up on you so that type of way of thinking that you see on social media i've seen it as being very dangerous i've seen it as being very harmful to people it doesn't really help civility so um part of this whole idea this hanging your hat in things that you people feel like am i forced to believe this sort of thing it seems like in the more recent years thanks to social media more and more people feel like they're forced to or have to uh, take stances on things they wouldn't normally take stances on, or they're forced to believe things that that uh, go against what they may actually truly believe, but they feel like the lesser of the two evils is just to go along with it. Um, does that is that like an observation that you would agree with, or maybe it's a little bit more nuanced than that? No, I, I agree with it. I think so. There's we've done research on this, and then several other groups, uh, Cato Institute published something earlier this year. They looked more at through the lens of self-censorship, so the degree to which people feel as though they have to restrain from voicing their opinion in some part because they are concerned about judgment. And that cuts across demographics, ideology. What we have also found to be true when we looked at this is people who post political content online it's, are, are overwhelmingly likely to be among the more... Uh, activists extreme and extreme and have more extreme political views relative to kind of the median voter on either side of the spectrum. And so what we find is that if you look on online, it is really unrepresentative, but then it gets kind of picked up and presented as like, this is the viewpoint of Democrats, Republicans, and, and, you know, whatever category we want to use. And that, and then people believe that that's, that, that, it, that influences how we, what we think of the average person, even though it's, not at all representative of what the average person feels. Wow. Uh, this might be interesting. It's kind of a weird thing, but when, since I come from a media background and since I do a radio talk show and I think about how certain shows become popular, a lot of it is, you know, you have to be controversial or you have to be confrontational. You know, there's certain little things that different shows do in order to try to gain some no notoriety or some, um, some fame or whatever to get ratings. And I know you're coming at this from a way to encourage constructive dialogue and you're trying to find common ground. So I'm curious if you think there's a hunger for this type of content where people are just out there looking for this type of conversation, or do you believe that when it comes to their entertainment, 
it's it's more in theory they like this sort of thing, but they still kind of gravitate towards the more polarizing talk. I think it's a great question, Ryan, and I have a lot of a, a couple of different thoughts. So the first is, I think there is some appetite for. So we know that there are many great groups out there. Uh, there's a group called Braver's Angel, Braver Angels. There's a group, People's Supper, One America Movement, who are intentionally bringing together people who want to work across political, race, um, generational differences. They, they actively want to reduce the sense of conflict. I, I don't know how widespread that kind of appetite is. Like you said, if you ask somebody, well, you know, the option between watching program A, which has this kind of civil dialogue versus option B, which is, you know, more, more animated and, and contentious, like that's, you know, the media data, data would suggest they're going to gravitate towards the contentious. I think it's a false choice. I think you can have engaging, really animated content that doesn't necessarily present the degree of hostility that we see in a lot of social media. And I, I, again, I, this is my first time on your show and I don't, so I don't really know the dynamic, but you have an audience, you have, you have a community and everybody listening to, to you and participating in this they're learning a bit about and shaping their opinions of other, other Americans, other folks from St. Louis. And so you're doing this, like you're shaping it. And so there is a way that we can have more spaces that aren't necessarily just about meeting in the middle, but that actively create perceptions of each other that are positive, accurate, and, and allow us to believe that we're, we have more in common than what divides us. Wow. Are there any topics that you just cannot meet in the middle? I mean, so it's an interesting question because at the, at the root of most issues is actually a question of identity. So whether it's guns, immigration, climate change, if you boil down and you drill into it at the root of the division is oftentimes people's sense of identity, who's on their team and what kind of worldview they have. So I don't want to, I mean, I'm sure there are some topics that it's, hard to articulate what a middle ground would look like. Hmm. So racism, for example, like I think no one, it's very hard to imagine a world where someone would like argue that any, any degree of racism is good, right? Like that's not a, a space that can have a common ground. I think we can have conversations about race and identity and that you can have folks who have different perspectives still leave a conversation with more of a shared understanding of each other's views. Hmm. That's interesting. And sometimes I see, and this is more observational, but when there are those things that you would believe everyone would agree on, like racism, for example, racism being bad, you know, trying to show some sort of preferential favor towards someone based on the color of their skin. What you find sometimes in the open dialogue is that people then start to redefine what racism is so they can use it as a way to demonize the person that they're arguing with. So that that's probably part of the thing you have to combat, too, is just trying to uh, come up with a common definition in order to get a common ground? I think uh, common definition or uh, alternatively, you can have norms. Again, I think it's norms are one of those really, it's again, it's a soft topic. It's hard to put a lot of specificity on this, but it's still possible to cultivate again in the community of, of listeners that you have, like the norms that they have about when somebody says something they disagree with, what is their reaction? And like, mm-hmm. do they process it? Do they seek to try and understand? Do they, do they act with curiosity as opposed to judgment or criticism? Like those are all norms that we can cultivate that don't require us to actually share the same definition or agree necessarily, but allow us to have a constructive dialogue 
and even more importantly, allow us to see each other as belonging to the same community. That's the kind of most critical element of, of reducing the polarization and toxicity is making, again, making us feel as though there is a we here that we both, we all belong to. Uh, Dan Vallone, U.S. Director of Mooring Common, in the website is Democracy for President. That's the website people can go to? Correct. DemocracyforPresident.com. Okay. You're, you're very calm. Yeah. I mean, I can tell that you're able to, you have this certain energy to you. What's, what's something that annoys you? Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I thank you. I appreciate that. I, I think maybe it was the starting my career in the army that has allowed me to be a relatively calm person. So I think doing what I, doing what I do, it, it does, I, I get frustrated when, people see social media and they assume that that is representative reality. I think that's a, that is something that I really struggle with because I want us to know each other as we actually are and then deal, deal with the real differences and divisions that we have in our country as opposed to what we think we have, which is exacerbated through social media. Oh, yeah. Amplified, exaggerated. You're right. All of these things that happen on there are not a true representation of, I think, the real... American spirit. And it, that's why I, I talk about this on the show. If it wasn't for doing this radio program, I wouldn't be on social media. I just don't mm-hmm. care enough to have to drudge through all the garbage in order to get something that's worthwhile reading. And it's just, it's the, the analysis of trying to, you know, the cost analysis of the time you put into it versus what you get out of it. Never there. Uh, so that's why I'm always leery when you read something online, not to react to it or not to feel like you have to react to it. So many people feel like they're forced to react to things, like they have to uh, go out there and do something. It's probably good to uh, ignore a lot of what you see on there. And keep in mind, there's real people that really do want to talk to you, and a lot of those people are not real. <laughs> so you got to try to keep that in perspective. Um, Dan Vallone, and i got to say, I really enjoyed the last half hour of our conversations here. And again, if people wanted to see you online, where can they find you? We're at democracyforpresident.com. And I agree, Ryan, really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you for what you're doing and appreciate the chance to talk with you. Great. Uh, Dan Vallone is the U.S. Director of More in Common, looking to uh, rebuild some of those civil discussions like we had here. And I thought it was wonderful learning from that. He joins us on the Quiver River Electric Guest Line on Overnight America KMOX. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. News Radio 1120 KMOX, the voice of the Cardinals. 
Thanks again for being with us tonight on Overnight America. It was nice to have Dan Valone on to talk about how to have civil political conversations. I need to class this radio program up a little. <laughs> so we have about an hour and a half left in the show. So we're live up until midnight, and then after that we have a couple of replay hours. I would love it if you called in. So let's spend the next couple of hours together. If you want to talk about something you can, something you want to bring up that may be going around, we can always we can always hammer it out. 314 314- Four three six seventy nine hundred or eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. Bohemians and uh, you know the regular folk that we normally talk to try to keep it civil. After Dan Valone came on, he's gonna show you the way on it. So I saw this story with Thanksgiving coming up, and I love Thanksgiving. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't trade Thanksgiving for any other big holiday. Like it's Christmas is fun, but I'd rather have a big turkey and stuffing before I would have, you know, a, a Christmas tree full of uh, gifts. Now, my son obviously would pick Christmas because he's the recipient of some pretty awesome gifts. And I got to say, I'm probably not the only parent that buys their gifts early anymore. Just with the the ability to purchase things and have them shipped to the house easily, and then you find something at a good price, you're like, oh, I'll just buy it now. It's easy. You're sitting in your sweatpants in front of a computer, and you say, oh, that's a good deal on this. Oh, he would like that. Oh, I'll just buy it, and I'll save it for Christmas. We do a lot of that in our household. So it makes it easy, and it also means our kid is extremely spoiled because we spread out gifts purchasing over a long period of time, so he probably ends up getting more than he should because as opposed to you know purchasing everything at the end and then next thing you know you're like oh i can't spend anymore well it's easy when you spend a little here a little there next thing you know you've gone overboard spoiling a kid so this this year will be fun for me thanksgiving being spoiled is sitting down and eating a meal and having no expectation to do two things one cook it and two clean up after it (laughs) that's always the greatest now since i've become more advanced in my age i now have to at least do one of the two sometimes even two. So this year we're having the in-laws visit the house for Thanksgiving. My parents might even come in. We might actually have both of the families in for Thanksgiving. Not once did we consider deciding to cancel Thanksgiving meal because of COVID. Some people may. Some people listening right now may be thinking to themselves, you know what? I don't know about having the kids over or the grandkids. It's just too risky. Have any of you considered changing your Thanksgiving plans because of COVID, 314-436-7900 or 800-925-1120. Maybe I should just do this. Maybe we should find like-minded Thanksgiving people. And if you're having a hard time finding people to cook for, maybe you like to cook that Thanksgiving meal. Maybe I come over for a second meal after our meal or a third meal. Maybe I just try to slam four Thanksgiving meals down my gullet. Maybe that would be the right way to do it. So one of the discussions that have come up was with Dr. Fauci on Thanksgiving, and he is saying that well, maybe I don't want to bring the kids over, the grandkids over, because I can't really risk this. Well, there's one thing for Dr. Fauci to say that, because he is in a position where he's around a lot of people, and that is absolutely going to bring your risk up of being exposed to this just based on the amount of people. But if you're just someone who's a regular guy like me, and if you're just someone that does not come into a lot of contact with people and close contact, the risk is going to be much lower. Why not in your family if they're the same way too? You shouldn't have to think that because of COVID, you're going to have to stay locked down in your bunker 24-7. And if for some reason one day you want to open up the blinds to bring a little light in, then, oh, the virus is going to find its way in. So you got to take the um, 
old newspaper and tape it up on the window to try to block yourself off from this. You know, it's we do have this mentality where we are being super overly cautious to the point where they want to cancel Thanksgiving meals. I just don't see it. I won't do that. I don't think I will. <laughs> but what about you? Have you changed any plans or have plans changed for you? Maybe you're thinking about traveling and they don't want you coming this year. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, 314-436-7900. Here's Dr. Fauci on Thanksgiving, by the way. That's such a sacred part of American tradition, the family gathering around Thanksgiving. But that is a risk. You may have to bite the bullet and sacrifice that social gathering unless you're pretty certain that the people that you're dealing with are not infected. Yeah, so what are you going to do? We did an article and a story on this a couple of maybe last week or two weeks ago where they were talking about taking temperatures at the door. So if someone's walking in, take your temperature. Or you have the Germex right there. You take a quick pump, make sure you get your hands nice and clean and, you know, get get it all the way up to the elbow. Ah, why not do it all the way to the shoulder? And while you're at it, rub some on your chest and legs. Like, what do you, how certain do you have to be that the person walking in has done all of the proper precautions? Or what, are you going to have them go straight to the bathroom? Hey, use soap. 30 seconds. I better hear you scrubbing your hands for 30 seconds before you do that. And then again, are you turning people away? Um, or maybe you're just going to show up anyway. What if you show up, you travel all these miles and normally this is just your regular thanksgiving tradition and then you show up and they say oh i wasn't expecting uh this many people i think we're gonna have to we're gonna have to pass next thing you know you're eating at a chinese restaurant which is a lot of people's traditions when it comes to thanksgiving if they don't want to cook for themselves so are you changing anything you do this year on thanksgiving i would love to hear from you we'll take some of your calls coming up or your text messages on overnight america kmox This is Overnight America, sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michaelsflooringoutlet.com on KMOX. Welcome back to Overnight America. So where are we? What are we doing? You know, I thought Thanksgiving meal is a fun topic. It's a way to try to get away from some of the more harsh topics that we could be discussing. We could talk the town hall meetings. We can talk about the Supreme Court. We can talk about fighting in the county, the fussing and the feuding. But I just need a time to just show you my appreciation for a beautiful Thanksgiving meal. There's a couple of different ways I enjoy a Thanksgiving meal, but ultimately the best way to enjoy it is by eating what someone else has prepared and put a lot of love into. And you really can tell when love is put into a Thanksgiving meal. I miss those days. I go to my grandma's house and I would be able to sit down and, you know, I'd be young enough where I would have zero expectation of any of the work. And my grandma used to always put so much work into Thanksgiving. My parents would normally cook the turkey at our house and then all the sides my grandma would make. So she would have them there and then my parents would bring the turkey. Oh, I think the turkey in the stuffing. My dad always made this fantastic stuffing, probably the best I've ever had. I I don't think I've ever tried anything as good. So we would eat this meal. My grandma always did this one thing, and I really miss this tradition because we were the only family I knew that made gnocchi for Thanksgiving. Now, if you don't know what gnocchi is, it's basically like a potato dough. You would, and she had a a way of doing this because it took a long time to prepare it. So she would make this big potato dough, and it was, you know, different than regular dough that you'd make bread with. It was more potato based. And then you would roll it out and you would cut it into these little pieces. If you've never seen what gnocchi looks like, they're about the size of a, I don't know, a little, maybe 
twice the size of a gumdrop, something about those size, but, you know, in the same shape. And she would just cut them off, cut them off, cut them off, and then you would bring out the pan, you would roll out the wax paper, and then you would put each individual one, and you would make sure they're not touching. Okay, then you put a next layer of uh, wax paper, and you just lay them one after another, after another, after another. And then you just kept doing this until you felt like you had enough of these things. And I remember she always used to clear off her kitchen table. She had this, like, butcher block wood kitchen table, and she never used a cutting board. It was always plopping right on there. So she always was able to do it that way. And, you know, there'd be flour everywhere, and you had to make sure you get the right flour down so it wouldn't stick to the table, and she'd, you know, knead it and do all of this. And I've helped her make it before. And you would freeze the gnocchi because what you want to do is when it's time to cook it, you want to be able to put it in boiling water to cook it. You can't just put the raw, mushy dough in there and expect it to boil and cook the same way. You you, you get the dough nice and cooked, and then you take it out and you mix it with the pasta sauce. She always made this special sauce, and I don't know how she did it. She had a special kind of meat she put in there, but it it had a bone on it, so she always cooked it with the bone. In this sauce was always so good, and you mix the two together, and it was the greatest thing. Mm. Only uh, she's the only person I knew that would actually make yoki for Thanksgiving, and I miss that. It's been many years since we've done it. My mom knows the recipe, but it's too much work for her to do it, and it's too much work for me to do it. I, I guess I could try to uh, bring it back at some point. I might cry if I eat it. And I think about those memories, those memories of sitting down with family members eating, joking, having the Lions on in the backgrounds. You know, being in Detroit, the Detroit Lions always had the Thanksgiving game. And it would be on in the background, and you'd see the Lions lose, and you'd complain about Joey Harrington or Scott Mitchell or whoever was the quarterback at the time. And it was always a losing proposition. Ugh, so bad. And then Joey Harrington, who always lost in Detroit, left. I think he went to go play for like another to Miami or something. He came and one day they had a matchup where they played the Lions on Thanksgiving and then he gets a win against the Lions. So every Thanksgiving became the same thing. Watch the Lions lose, eat the great food, sit back, relax, possibly take a nap. I would hear stories of, you know, the olden days in the background. My grandma would always have this old Victrola and she had these big thick albums like you know the old edison ones and she'd place you know she'd crank the thing and she'd play it and we'd listen to these and then eventually she put on her favorite musician and we'd always listen to the same record every thanksgiving after she put out the old edison ones and that was luciano Pavarotti. we'd always listen to opera while we ate because that's what she wanted and that was the perfect thing for her and that's weird because you start to build what is that perfect moment and for her she made her perfect moment it was you wanted the family to be around you got to have the yokis on the table because that's the tradition listen to some Pavarotti I don't know if she drank wine or not but she might have I, I don't remember and when you were done you just got to relax and that was it and someone else took care of it in my perspective it's 2020 and I think man I wouldn't pass up an opportunity to do that one more time. But here we are where we look at the news articles that say you need to pass up that moment. It's probably better that you pass up that moment. Maybe you should consider giving that up this year. Maybe you shouldn't be so selfish and want to have that moment with your family. I can tell you, I mean, there's, there's nothing I wouldn't do to, uh, to relive that one more time. So here's, here's what I got to say about Thanksgiving. If you're on the fence and you're thinking about the family, 
and you're thinking about, oh, I don't know, I, I keep reading about the doom and gloom and everything's terrible and this and that, do your Thanksgiving meal. Bring the family over. Bring the kids. Get the grandkids out there. Do your Thanksgiving meal. Do it. Don't hold back. You won't, in the retrospect, look back at it and say, you know, who knows? Who knows what happens between now and then? Who knows if you're not going to have that opportunity next year? A lot of things could change. You don't want to pass that up. Uh, let's see. we got a couple of minutes here, and we still have another hour of Overnight America next hour. Uh, I, I could just talk more food. I'm a big Thanksgiving guy, and this is a controversial thing, too. I did this on my show. Was it Sunday night? I can't remember, but uh, if, if you missed it or if you've already heard it, I'm sorry, but... I have someone on my Twitter feed, someone that I have known for, you know, a couple of years now, someone I actually worked with back when I was working at another radio station, who said turkey is overrated and it's the worst Thanksgiving food. He said, I would rather eat pizza on Thanksgiving than eat a turkey. And I thought, wait a minute, that is a controversial statement. That may be one of the worst takes I've ever read on the Internet, and I've read some pretty terrible takes on the Internet. So I go out and I do this topic on the show here a few days ago. And if you remember this correctly, it was 50-50. 50% of the people said, oh, I can give or take the turkey. I don't care. Other 50 said, uh, no, you have to have it. Have to have it. You got to have the turkey. Now, I had a friend who did ham for Thanksgiving. They, instead of doing the turkey, they substituted it with ham. And they just preferred it that way. And I thought that was kind of weird. But here's the big advantage of having someone like that in your friend circle. When they are done with Thanksgiving, and you're done with Thanksgiving in your office school or whatever it is, and they say, hey, you want to come over? You want to hang out? Because, hey, there's nothing else. Going. It's Thanksgiving. The only thing that's open is like the movie theater. I know a lot of people go and watch a movie on Thanksgiving, but that's about it. That's all that's open. Or, and then when you get 21, you know, the bars or whatever is open at night. But you would go over to your friend's house, and they would say, hey, do you want some leftovers? And you would look at it and say, you had ham? It's like something different. Yeah, let's get some of that ham going. Or some ham sandwiches after that, too. So good. I miss those days. It's going to be different. Should I make the gnocchi this year? I really hope. Maybe I should. Maybe I'll do that. I'll clear off the table. My wife will hate me. She said, you're making a giant mess doing this. But sure, I might as well do that. You know what I noticed, too, um, about the Thanksgiving meal is that the the cranberry sauce is also another controversial thing. Some people like the actual cranberries in the sauce. I like the gelled kind, the just the flat out jelly. You have to hear it make that noise when it comes out of the can. That's what I want, and I want it to jiggle when it hits the plate. But you know, you slice that up into like little slices, patties, and you eat it that way. It's awesome. I think that's the best way to do it. One person told me that's the least masculine food of all the Thanksgiving. I always thought it was like the sweet yams would be the least mask masculine food of all. Who uh, The cranberry sauce, I think, adds that necessary sweetness when you need to add that to something. Like if, if you have a little bit of gravy on your stuffing and your turkey, you just add a little dab of that cranberry sauce into the bite. It's absolutely mwah, perfect. And sometimes I'll even buy a can of cranberry sauce, and I'll eat it as a snack. I'll open the can up with a spoon on the one end, and I'll just eat it. And I'll probably eat about half of it, and then I'll put a little cover, tinfoil or whatever, on the can, put it back in the fridge, and I'll finish it later. That's how much I like the cranberry sauce. I would probably uh, wager that I may be the only other person to do that, too. Probably the only other person to do that. One more hour of Overnight America coming up, and I don't know where you guys are tonight. 
I thought for sure we'd be able to talk some Thanksgiving and have some fun with it. Is it just one of those nights you want to sit back, relax, you don't want to call in? That's all right if that's the case. I'll sit here and I'll entertain you. I got one more hour until that work whistle blows. Kind of like Fred Flintstone, the bird's going to go. It's it, They're going to pull the tail of the bird and steam's going to come out of its mouth. And I'm going to say, yabba dabba do. And instead of going down the dinosaur tail, I'm up the stairs in bed. So we got one more hour <laughs> until we say goodbye for the week. We want to take your calls. I'd love to hear from you. 314-436-7900. Yeah, I'm going to do the reverse Fred Flintstone. I'm going to slide up the stairs. And we can uh, talk about what you want the next hour. I got some other things we can go through, but still, it's more entertaining when we're doing it together. This is Overnight America on KMOX. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com.